Well, good morning again, everyone. Glad to see you guys. If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29 this morning. If you need a Bible, Dwight's up with Bibles in his hand, and he will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 John 2, verses 18 through 29 this morning. A little bit of a buzz, Jacob, I'm hearing. I don't know. You probably hear it too. Because you're the sound guy, so you probably hear it. Probably heard it before I heard it. Is that me? That was me. All right, my fault. Okay. First John chapter two, starting in verse eighteen, we read, John write, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, but which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. We'll stop there for right now. The title of my study this morning is Warning Curves Up Ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to be in your word, knowing, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, to Give us, Lord, not only understanding of your word, but application in our life that as we leave this place today, Lord, we will leave more drawn closer into our relationship with you, more in love with you, uh, Lord, even than when we first came in, Lord, and more in tune to your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us this morning that does not have a personal relationship with you, they don't have their sin forgiven, they're not born again, would you especially touch their heart this morning? So, God, we thank you for this time. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, maybe you've seen this before. In Bolivia, they have a road called the Youngest Road. It is considered one of the most dangerous roads in all the world. Take a look at that. About the width of one car at least 1,000 feet up. There's another one that I found. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me the heebie-jeebies just looking at that. I'm going, oh, I don't want to be on that road. I don't want to be on you know, that road. And I mean, it's huge. And I'm sure if they post a sign that says, caution, curves up ahead, they're going to be cautious. <laughs> they're going to go, okay. You know, I, I don't even know why they'd be on that road, but they would, they would want you to. And you'd want to, especially just to slow down. Be careful. Why? So you don't fall off, that you don't fall down. Well, almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul gave this warning. He said this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Spiritually speaking, people are hitting the curves way too fast, and they're running off the road. That is, men have turned their ears from the truth, and they've turned to fables. And the problem that I see, and we see it in so many churches today, is that they've allowed themselves to be shaped more by the culture around them rather than by the truth 
found in God's Word. And as a result, they are drifting into spiritual compromise, drifting into apostasy. They've listened to these false teachings and false doctrines, and now they're, they're spinning out of control. They've taken the turns too fast. Well, here in 1 John uh, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 18-29, through 29, John addresses the same thing. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning. Number one, we're going to see a caution in verses 18 and 19. Number two, a contrast in verses 20 and 23. And a comfort in verses 24 through 29. John begins with a caution, with a warning. He begins in verse 18 by saying, Little children, it is the last hour. Now, keep in mind, John is 100 years old, so everybody is considered little children to him at this point because of his age. You know, he, you know it's, a, it's a term of, of endearment. He's saying, listen, little children, those that I love. And then he brings up, uh, it is the last hour. You know, I think one of the hardest things if you're a parent for our children to grasp is the concept of time. You know, they don't get it. Well, you have to wait. Well, how long do I have to wait? You know, many of you parents know that in a few weeks, you know, if not already, your kids are going to be asking, how much longer till Christmas? When will Christmas be here? Then as soon as the Christmas is over, you know, how, Dad, when is it going to be Christmas again? How many more days? How many more hours? How many more minutes? But you see, one of the most important things for us as Christians to understand is what time it is, prophetically speaking. John tells us, then it's the last hour. So what do you think John would say if he were living today? It is the last nanosecond, okay? We're down to seconds here. See, the last days actually began... Uh, on, in John's day, the resurrection of Jesus, it has been growing in intensity ever since. All history since that time is preparation for the end, when Christ will come and return for His church, and then seven years later, He'll establish His kingdom upon the earth. Now, when will that be? Well, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, but He also said you can know the times and the seasons. When you see certain things happening around you, you should be alert that the, His coming is near. Just as we walk outside and it's a relatively cool uh, day and you see the trees starting to change a little bit and then the, the fall colors are here, what do you know? Winter's almost here. That's what I know. And there are a lot of signs that you can see it clearly. In the same way, the Bible gives us signs that say we're moving quickly towards the Lord's return. So pay attention to these signs, the signs of the times. One of those signs that John adds It's in verse 18 when he says, look at verse 18, And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now Christians have always believed that the near, the culmination of history, there would emerge this superhuman coming on the scene known as the Antichrist mentioned here in verse 18. Well, who is this man? What will he be like? I don't think he'll be like what you expect him to be. He's not going to be all dressed in black and, you know, in black capes and glowing red eyes and steam coming off of him with a theme song. You know, maybe the, the Darth Vader theme song. Dun, 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 you know, he'll be, I'm the Antichrist, here I am, you know, listen to me. I don't think that's the way it's going to be. See, the Antichrist it's important to understand the prefix anti can mean the opposite of or instead of or in place of. So the Antichrist is opposite of Jesus or he can be instead of Jesus. See, I think the man is going to be quite suave, intelligent, 
uh, well-read, engaging, magnetic, and, and charismatic. He'll probably be very well-dressed. But he is going to be the most wicked individual who has ever walked on the face of this earth. If Satan ever had a son, it will be this person that we call the Antichrist. One writer describes the future Antichrist by saying, he will have the, or, or, he'll be able to have the skill of speaking like John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, the vision of Karl Marx, the respectability of a Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, and the genius of a King Solomon. In addition to that, he will be empowered by Satan, and his incredible capabilities will be used against God's people. He will be the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, many have wondered, well, who is this Antichrist? Is he alive? Do we know him? In fact, I found one website called Know Your Antichrist Candidates. <laughs> well, sounds like a late night, you know, talk show thing. Let me tell you, you can find every name under the sun. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was actually on the list there. Henry Kissinger, because he's still alive and he looks the same as he did from 1970. I think that's probably why. People thought Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Why? Because you remember him? He had the strange birthmark on his head. That's the mark of the beast. Uh-oh. I recently read that people thought it could be David Hasselhoff. Ooh. But you see, we shouldn't be looking for the Antichrist. Rather, we should be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible promises a crown of righteousness for those who love his coming. Jesus is coming not for watching for his enemy. But there's another danger sign that John posed here in verse 18. He says, yes, the Antichrist is coming. But he says, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. In other words, though the world still waits to see the ultimate revealing of the Antichrist, there are little previews of this man and his mission to come. These are the Antichrists with little a, if you will. We might call them junior Antichrists. See, the Bible actually uses the term Antichrist in three different ways. Number one, it uses the term in referring to the spirit of Antichrist. That it's not an individual person, or, or, you know, but an, an evil kind of spirit that is against Christ. And you find the spirit of Antichrist in all of your cults and all of your false teachings. Turn with me in your Bibles over just to, to a couple chapters to chapter 4, verse 1, for a moment. Because John touches on this, and, and we will when we get to it deeper. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, John says, Their beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Excellent advice. Why? Well, he goes on. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he says this in verse 2, for by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, we'll, again, we'll study that in a few weeks. But what he, what he means by that is that if you are a true believer, then you hold to and you accept the teaching that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. But notice as you go on in verse 3 of chapter 4, John says this, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now turn back to chapter 2. John is saying there are those that in this time have the spirit of Antichrist. That, that is, they don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Same thing going on in our day and age today. 
A good example of this, and you folks probably know this, is Jehovah Witness Organization. It's not a Christian organization. Rather, it is the spirit of Antichrist. There are about 8 million Jehovah Witnesses worldwide whose aim is to reach every household at least once a year with one mission, to love thy neighbor and to share Jehovah's kingdom. Now, there are a lot of polite, very moral people in the Watchtower Society. I mean, if you look at them, you know, they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't murder, they don't commit adultery. They are basically moral people. Yet, and, and many of them are quite sincere people. But they are sincerely deceived and they're being uh, led astray because they believe the wrong thing. And the Jehovah Witness doctrine, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They vehemently oppose and deny and mock at the idea and ridicule the concept of a triune God, that Jesus was not God in the flesh, they say. Another example of this we find in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the, the Mormons. They deny the doctrine taught in the Bible concerning Jesus Christ. The same is true for the, the Christian scientists. They have the, the spirit of the Antichrist denying the deed of Jesus Christ. Islam maintains Jesus was only a prophet and, and, and that he was not the only way to God, that Jesus was only a man, you know, same equal to Adam and Noah and, and, and Abraham, but all below Muhammad. They have the spirit of Antichrist denying the deity of Jesus Christ. Buddhists, believe Jesus Christ was a good teacher, though he was less important than Buddha. They have the spirit of Antichrist. Hindus believe that God is a formless and, and, and abstract. He takes his form in a trinity, as well as millions of other gods. That Jesus was not the Son of God, nor was he more divine than any other man, and he did not die for man's sin. They have the spirit of Antichrist. And you have, you know, the Baha'i faith, which is kind of a diverse group blending together all the faiths in this ecumenical kind of concept. Listen, the Bible alone teaches that not only is Jesus the one and only way to God and that God is personal and can be known in a personal way, but Jesus is God in the flesh come to this earth. And that's why Jesus alone could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But you have all these different isms and, and, and religions and cults and false messiahs and prophets coming along and you see all these false religious systems. The systems are the, the spirit of the Antichrist. Now they are, 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 are you serious? I've been teaching for 17 years. I've never had this happen to me. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me tell you, right then and there, I'm telling you. These folks, they're sincere in what they believe. Quite sincere. They, they know it and they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong in what they believe. You know, a lot of people, they think that if a person is sincere about what they believe, oh, they're just going to go to heaven. That's pretty foolish. See, the issue is not the depth of my sincerity. The issue is what it is that I believe. The issue isn't the amount of faith that I have. It's the object of my faith. What am I putting my faith in? What do I believe? See, I could drink poison believing with all my heart that it's not going to hurt me. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be poisoned. It's going to kill me. I can jump off a bridge believing I'm going to fly and, and, and what will happen? I'm not going to fly. I'm going to thump. I'm going to flop. Oh, but I believe it with all my heart. I'm so sincere. I know it can fly. It doesn't work that way. 
No one gets to heaven because they're sincere. You can be sincerely deceived. You can sincerely believe the wrong message and be sincerely wrong. So what all these false religions, these cults all have in common is that they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. I recently heard Ravi Zacharias give a definition of a cult and I liked it. He said, he said a cult is one that claims to be rooted in historic Christianity but has de- deviated or abandoned the finished work of Christ or compromised on his person. He goes on and says, uh, um, he adds, uh, they add to his teaching and is generally at the instruction of one individual who dictates that belief. Listen, Jesus said we are complete in him, but when you add or detract, you can give yourself whatever name you want to be called, but you're imputing the finished work of Christ upon the cross, and that is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, that is the first way the term Antichrist is used here, the spirit of Antichrist. But there's two other ways. The second way, it's, it's used as a, as a title for a false teacher himself. So when you have a, a Jehovah Witness come to your door and, and they knock and, 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 and they're trying to teach you their false doctrine, they are Antichrist. Now they don't certainly see themselves that way because they are deceived. But you, you have an Antichrist that knocks on your door on the Saturday morning. Any individual denying the deity of Jesus Christ is Antichrist. And then obviously the third way in which it is used, and we've looked at this already, the actual Antichrist himself. The man who's going to come on the scene after the rapture of the church during the tribulation period. He's going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel three and a half years into it. Uh, after they've been deceived, he's going to put himself in the newly rebuilt temple. He's going to de- demand that, that they you know, fall down and worship him. Uh, otherwise, they'll be put to death. And, and at that point, they're going to know, hey, this is the Antichrist. Uh, but it's not going to be revealed until after the rapture of the church. But this we do know. We do know his outcome. And I, and I love what, what Paul writes in Second Thessalonians 2.8, and that the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. But here's what John is getting at in our text. The actual Antichrist, at first he says, but then he refers to many Antichrists that have come already referring to the spirit of Antichrist uh, uh, and, and the term that's used for false religions and for false teachers. John is, is thinking of both here, uh, the spirit of Antichrist and the teachers themselves that hold Antichrist teachings. Next, he gives us some background on these Antichrists and where they've come from. Look at verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest, made manifest that none of them were of us. So John begins by saying they went out from us, but they really, they weren't a part of us. In other words, these junior antichrists, maybe they've identified themselves as being a, a part of this body of believers here, but they've never really were a part of the body of Christ. And it's just demonstrated by, by them leaving. See, now, John isn't talking about someone who, you know, leaves one church, you know, and goes to attend another church. And, and, and so we get all out of shape, well, you're an antichrist because you left our church. That's not what John's talking about here. He's talking about those, uh, those who leave the clear teaching of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, and turns and denies that Jesus is God. And this is revealing that they never truly had a relationship with God in the first place. Because if they had, then they would have continued with us, John says. Because when, when regeneration takes place, when you're born again, truly born again, you're going to want to continue to walk with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have lapses of faith or go into the world for time, but I do believe that the Lord will bring that person back. Either they'll bring them back or he'll take them home one way or the other. But John says, these people, 
They turned away. These people, they left. You want to understand, they really never were with us. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, brings this point up as well when he warns about these false teachers and how that they're going to bring destruction upon themselves. Uh, he says at the end of chapter 2 by saying, in 2 Peter 2.22, they make these proverbs come true. A dog returns to its vomit and a washed pig returns to the mud. So maybe they, you know, they come into the church, they, they pretend they're all cleaned up and everything, but man, they just go right back to the mud. Now, I've never witnessed that with a dog returning to its vomit. I, I do know it's true because we did have a cat and she did do what that verse says. Disgusting. But again, John is saying that they went out from us because they were not of us. They were pigs. They had a bath, but they hadn't been regenerated. And so they went back to the mud. They were dogs that had vomited and they went back to the, you know. So the caution John gives, a warning to be aware of false religions and the false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist and the false teachers as Antichrist. That brings us to point number two, the contrast. Look at verse 20. Now in contrast to these Antichrist and false teachers, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now this is a reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Christian has been given the Holy Spirit, John says, which enables him to know all things. Now does that mean that you suddenly become omniscient? Yes, I look at the verse and now I'm omniscient. I know all things. Next time you get into an argument with your wife, you can quote this verse. Honey, I know all things. John says so. Go ahead, try it. You'll be sleeping with the dog. But what John is saying here is that everything you need to know about God is found in His Word as revealed to you by and through His Holy Spirit that you have dwelling inside of you. We don't need a New World translation that the Jehovah wants to give you, their interpretation of God's Word. We don't need the Book of Mormon to help us know about God. We don't need to have someone tell us we have some new thing that is not found in God's Word that you need to follow or adhere to in order to know God. Peter again tells us in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, as His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who calls us by glory and virtue. See, John continues to make this contrast in verses 21 through 23 between those who don't know Christ and those who do. He says in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has a Father also. See, this is huge. This is a matter of life and death. John says the one who is a liar is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist. Antichrist, it is. He's against Christ in this meaning. Again, remember, John is combating a cult. He's combating the false teaching at his time of those known as the Gnostics. They thought they knew it all. Remember, Gnosticism was... There was in Gnosticism, there's a fellow by the name of Serenthus who taught that this man, Jesus Christ, had... Had, had a Christ consciousness come upon him, that it came upon him at baptism, and that it left him before he was crucified. That's what the Gnostics were teaching. That's what John is fighting against here. What's interesting to me is that it's the same thing that the Christian scientists teach that was founded by Mary Baker Eddy. Same thing she taught. That the man, Jesus, the Christ, come, uh, the, the Christ came on him. I know we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but it really is just a new age movement of today, which is, really isn't new. It's old lie that's been around for a long time. 
New Agers talk about the Christ consciousness and how the Christ can be in all of us and, and maybe a teacher can, can channel Jesus or channel some great dead and gone spiritual leader or prophet. And they get in this, this trance and they meditate on their navel and ooh, you know, and, and, and it's not new. It's Gnosticism. That's what John's coming against and warning you and warning us it's going to get worse in the last days and it has. See, what John is saying is Jesus is the Christ. He's not Christ consciousness, but he is the Christ. That word Christ is the Greek equivalent for the Old Testament Hebrew word for Messiah. In the New Testament, Christ means the anointed one. And what New Agers like to do is they try to separate the person of Jesus Christ from the anointing. But listen, Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to anoint him to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, and he still is the Christ. Now, I love the times that Paul in his epistles uses his full title. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's not his first, middle, and last name, okay? It's not Mr. Lord and Mr. Christ. It's a title. The Lord speaking of his deity. He is Yahweh, the Lord, the sovereign God of all the earth. He is Jesus, which means uh, uh, God saves. It's a New Testament word for the Old Testament name, Joshua. Yeshua is salvation. What an awesome name. And then he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. No other name given to men by which men can be saved. But this new age idea that Jesus was, was just the Messiah for a short time, but now this little guru guy driving around in his Mercedes is the new Messiah. It's ridiculous. It's foolishness. Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And anyone who denies that, John says, he is not the Father. But in verse 27, the contrast, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Totally supporting the doctrine of the Trinity. You don't have the Father without the Son. That's why if you're, you're messed up with the doctrine of the Son, then you're messed up with the doctrine of the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Now, someone might say, well, what's the big deal? Okay, I mean, I've met a lot of, of Mormons. I mean, they seem to love God. I mean, they, they talk about Jesus. Is it really that important? What's the big deal? It is a big deal. And here's why. Look at it this way. Let's say you're in my house. When suddenly a man comes, comes up my walkway, kicks down the front door, he rolls in a live grenade in your direction. As you sit glued to your seat, paralyzed with fear, I spring into action. I run down the hall, I grab my son Matthew, just as the grenade is about to go off, and I throw him on the grenade, saving you in the process. What kind of dad would I be? Horrible. Absolutely horrible. That's why it's such a damnable heresy that the cultists paint concerning the Father. When they say that Jesus was not God, not equal to the Father, but rather a created being that God the Father sent to take the blow while he sat back and watched, what kind of God is that? Why would you even listen to these people? See, unless they understand that Jesus is himself the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, Isaiah 9, 6. Unless I understand that Jesus is who he claimed to be when he said, uh, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. Unless I take Paul's words at face value when he said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Then my perception of the fatherhood of God and the sacrifice of the Son is totally messed up. Paul's words ring true, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. See, this is more than just doctrinal discussion. Because if you don't say that Jesus is God, then you make God a very cruel, awful person who created a son to take the hit because he was unwilling to do so himself. If, on the other hand, Jesus is indeed God, then God himself absorbed that blow, that hit that I deserve, that you deserve. He took the penalty himself while he hung there on the cross personally for you and for me. No wonder those who teach anything else are damned. See, this brings us to our final point. We've had John give us a caution. Beware of false teachers, false religions, of Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. Then he gave us this contrast. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. Finally, John gives us a comfort. You might call them safeguards to help us. Found in verses 24 through 27. Look at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in Him. Now, the first comfort or safeguard that John mentions is in verse 24 when he says, if you're worried about Antichrist and being deceived, remember that you have the word of God abiding in you. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What did they hear from the beginning? The word of God. Jesus' words. They've heard. They have his words. See, one of the biggest safeguards we have from false Christ, false teachers, false gurus, false religious systems is this book that we call our Bible. It's God's word. That's our defense. It's our protection. That's how we know truth from error. If you're ignorant of the Bible, then you're susceptible to being led astray and, and, and seduced. You know the cults, they love to prey on untaught, uneducated Christians. People have really not been grounded in God's word and they seek to put their, in, the, in, the, in their false teaching. They'll come knocking on your door. You know, hey, we're from the Bible Society. And we want to have a, a Bible study. Would you like to learn from the Bible? You're not going to knock on the door and say, Hi, we're a cult and we're a false religious system. How would you like to join us on our way to hell? They're not going to do that. They're going to go, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, come on in. No. They're going to say nice things to you. Like, well, would you like to live in a world where there's no war? Of course you would. Would you like to, 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 to lie where there's no jails, no sickness, no problems? And they have all these little magazines with the perfect family on it and the, the mom and the dad and the 2.1 kids and the birds in the air and the little pet dog and the squirrel in the tree and the green, green grass. And, I mean, wouldn't you like this, this picture? Oh, yeah, that's a great picture. And they draw you in and they get you to go to one of their Bible studies and they introduce you to their false teachings and their false doctrines through their false word. And, and the next thing you know, you're confused. You're messed up. See, I always thought that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're three in one, but, but what about Jesus? Uh, uh, oh, that's just a false teaching promoted by those born-againers, the, the end-time gang, you know, those type of Christians. And they'll give you the twisted translations of one of their magazines and the things to read so that you can get all twisted up and turned around. Go down that curve and that road and, and, and you can be destroyed. And they want to deceive you, as this text mentioned in verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
I'm writing these things so you know those that are going to try and deceive you. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be seduced. You know, as a pastor, I can really relate to what John is saying here. It can be real discouraging when, when I run into people and I see they've been deceived, they've been confused because they turn their back on the simple teaching of God's Word and they're not abided in the truth of God's Word. Remember what I, I said in the beginning of the study, what Paul told Timothy, one of the signs of the last days would be in 2 Timothy 4.3. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Why? Because they're not digging into God's Word. They don't want to hold fast to God's Word. It's sad, it's tragic. In these last days, we've seen a rise in Antichrist, in the spirit of Antichrist. Everyone wants their ears tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. They certainly don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance, about confession, about surrendering to God. They want to be told that God wants you to be happy. The most important thing is for you to be happy. Do you know that the Scriptures, nowhere does God call us to be happy? He calls us to have joy, absolutely. The joy of the Lord, certainly. But God calls us to be holy, not happy. But a byproduct of holiness in, in your relationship with the Lord is happiness. But that's not what we're hearing today. People don't want to hear that. They're not enduring sound doctrine. They're, they're not abiding in God's Word and they're being pulled away. To every Christian ought to make it their goal to set up a study what the Bible teaches about the nature of God, about the person of Jesus Christ, how you're saved. You should know what the Bible teaches about itself. You should know what the Bible teaches about the church, about Satan, about heaven, about hell, about the end times. Now, you, you, you don't have to be a theologian in some doctrine sense of the word, but you should be theologically sound. You, you should be studying doctrine and theology. And let me say, you don't have to be afraid of those words either, doctrine or theology. The word doctrine basically means teaching. We teach Bible doctrine. We're just simply teaching the Bible. And the word theology basically means the study of God. So all of you guys, all of us as Christians, we're theologians. You got to lunch this afternoon, you can tell the waitress, hey, I'm a theologian, can I tell you about God? And all you, those sitting at the table, yeah, we can all tell you about God. And then notice what John says in verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it's not a lie, and just as it's taught you, you will abide in him. Now I believe that God has called certain individuals to teach the Bible, and that the scripture itself referred to men and women uh, who have the gift of teaching. So this verse is not saying that we should never sit under human teachers, but what this verse is saying, that the ultimate illumination and understanding and quickening and insight of God's word comes from the Holy Spirit of God. If I'm up here and I'm just spouting off words and terms, it's not going to do you any good unless the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and gives you the illumination, the understanding. Now, in my preaching and teaching, I do my best to have sound interpretation. I follow you know, sound principles on how I interpret Scripture. I want it to be in context. I want to find out the primary meaning of what the text is. And, and just because someone says it's one way, I want to find out for myself. And I want to apply the Bible, the, the Bible, the Bible consistent with what it means in, in its context. But it's still the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God to you and makes you able to receive it and then apply it in your life. Otherwise, it's just ink on a piece of paper. 
But the Holy Spirit makes it alive to you. He illuminates it to you. So I pray that when I'm teaching that the Spirit of God just opens up your eyes and your heart and your mind and, and as we go through God's Word, you're going, whoa, I never saw this before. Oh, man, this is great. Oh, I'm going to apply this in my life. Oh, this is awesome. I'm learning this. That's the Holy Spirit teaching you. So that when you hear some other teacher, maybe you turn it on the TV and hear some preacher guy on TV and, and he's saying something, you're going, wait a minute, that ain't right. That's wrong. Why? Because you've been in God's Word. You've been taught through the Holy Spirit. That's what, what, what John is saying here. Because the Holy Spirit through the Word of God has taught you how to spot that which is false. Now that's why I encourage you, when you come to church, bring your Bibles, bring your, your pens, bring your highlighters, mark, underline, yes, write in your Bible. Then take it home and re-look at the verses we've covered. And, and, and that's how we abide in Christ, is what John is saying. That's how we stay strong in these last days. That's how we go slow around the curves. It's the Spirit of God teaching us. Again, two comforts that we have, two safeguards, the Word of God abiding in us, and number two, the Spirit of God teaching us. What a great thing that is. Now John closes in verses 20 and 29, and we'll close as well with this encouragement. He says this, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Think about this as a Christian. The idea at the Lord's coming, some would actually be ashamed. I've shared this before, and you guys probably know what I'm going to say. The last thing I want to be doing is arguing with my wife when the rapture of the church takes place. Oh, Lisa, I am right, and you are right. Standing before the Lord. You're saying, Tom, uh, 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 Lord, I... Uh, um, Forgive me, Lord. I, I didn't mean to die. I'm so sorry. I'm ashamed, Lord. Would you be ashamed at His coming? Or would you have the confidence, as John is speaking here, it simply means uh, 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 may have confidence to not be ashamed, the plainness of speech. To be able to go, oh, Jesus. And to be able to look at His face and say, oh, thank you that you rescued me from this, from this place. See, it all depends on your heart and where it is before God. And how you've been living before God. And where your relationship is, is to God. See John says in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous. You know that everyone who practices righteousness. Is born of him. If you know the righteousness of Christ. Then, then you want to live righteously. You want to live to please him. And if you do and as you do. It's an indication that you have been truly born again. That you've been born of God. Listen folks. We're living in the last days. We're living in the nanoseconds of the last days. Jesus is coming very quickly. When He appears, He's coming to take you to heaven. We'll unite heaven. We'll be with Him forever. But until then, John says, we must abide in Christ. Abide in His Word. Abide in, in, in His presence, in, in, in prayer. Abide in praise and worship of Him. Abide in fellowship with other believers in Him. Abide in Christ. That is what it's all about. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you sold out for Christ? Now is not the time to be walking on the edge of that road there. You're looking down what's down there, man. You want to play it safe. You want to get inside as close to the Lord as possible. Now is the time to commit our lives and our hearts to the whole being, to the one who gave his life for us, who's returning for us very soon. As we close this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, don't wait any longer. Give your life to Him. 
Jesus is coming quickly. He tells us in Revelation 3, 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. But you've got to open that door. You've got to open that door. Jesus said in John 1, 12, But as many as received him to them, uh, he uh, became, became the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. If you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, as soon as service is over, the elders are up front. They're up front every Sunday to pray with you and for you. But if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come up and talk to them this morning. And they'd love to pray with you. To the rest of us, let's abide in Him as we wait for His return. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. How powerful it is, Lord, to to not only equip us, Lord, but to change our lives and to know truth from error. And Lord, I pray the truth we've looked at this morning, that we would take them home, we would study them, Lord, that we would know how to answer every man with the hope that lies within us. Lord, we pray for those that are caught up in these cults. Lord, I, I think we all know someone, friends, family members, that may be caught up in some of these cults that are out there. Lord, we pray for them. We pray that the blinders that are on their eyes would be taken off and they would see that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through you, that you are God in the flesh, came to this earth to redeem mankind. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for those that don't know you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have that relationship with you, they don't know you, I pray that they would not leave here without making that commitment to you. So help us this week, Lord, to abide in you, to abide in your word, to keep our hearts and minds focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.